70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته معكم صديقتكم كنزة سليماني من الجزائر أبلغ من العمر 32 عاماً Hi, my name is Kenza Sleimani. I'm tuning in from Algeria. My ties with KBS World Radio's Arabic service date back to 2012. I found out about the channel from Korea by chance as I was searching for radio stations. Ever since I've been tuning in to the news and other programs, and since 2018, I've been serving as an official monitor. KBS World Radio's Arabic service taught me a lot and helped me have a better understanding of Korea. I would like to applaud everyone at KBS World Radio for running an outstanding and successful channel for 70 years. Congratulations on your 70th anniversary, and I wish you the very best in the future as well. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Tuesday, the 17th of January, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-woo. The former chairman of the Sangbangul group, Kim Sung-tae, has arrived in Korea and is being questioned by prosecutors over allegations of corruption involving the Democratic Party chief, Lee Jae-myung. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. For in-depth news analysis today, we review the outcomes from President Yoon Sung-yeol's state visit to the UAE, which concluded today. And coming up for Touch Basin's Hall, we meet Lucky, a TV personality in Korea from India, who was recently appointed an honorary ambassador for the King's Hejong Institute. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. A key figure in corruption allegations related to the main opposition Democratic Party leader Lee Jae-myung has returned to South Korea after being arrested in Thailand, and he was immediately taken away for questioning by prosecutors upon his arrival. This is the ex-Sangbangul Group chairman Kim Sung-tae. He's being questioned in connection with the prosecution's ongoing investigations into various corruption allegations, including those involving E. For more on this story and our other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor Daniel Chair. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Jungle. So the fugitive tycoon was nabbed in Thailand last week. Uh, now back in Korea after agreeing to return, Kim Tong-tae is set to face hours and likely days of grilling by prosecutors. That's right. Kim was arrested by investigators after boarding a flight in Bangkok some eight months after fleeing South Korea. Uh, to give you a brisk background about what this man is about, the 55-year-old is a former CEO of a major underwear firm in Korea. He resigned as group chair in 2021, but has allegedly remained in charge of major decision-making at that group. He was handcuffed and flanked by prosecution investigators, was asked if he had any relationship with the DP chief by reporters at the airport, but flatly said he did not know him at all. Kim is a key 
suspect in several high-profile corruption investigations, including embezzlement, payment of main opposition Democratic Party chief Lee Jae-myung's legal fees by proxy, and the transfer of cash remittance to North Korea. The volunteer return comes a week after he was apprehended by Thai police at a golf club near Bangkok. He was about to stand trial for illegally staying in that country. The prosecution plans to continue its probe through Wednesday before requesting a court warrant for Kim's arrest. Meanwhile, rival political parties had sharply different reactions to the, rep- uh, to the return of the former Sangbaung Group chairman, King Songte, from Thailand. Can you tell us about that? So, sure, Chang. On Tuesday, the ruling People Power Party accused the DP of protecting what they call a gangster-turned-businessman, slamming the main opposition for giving up on reason in defense of its leader. The ruling bloc said a number of occurrences surrounding the DP chief that cannot exist under a normal state system had transpired as it referred to the ex-Sangbangul chief paying E's legal fees by proxy. The DP denied its leader's connection to the allegations, accusing the prosecution of attempting to demonized a party chief through the media. The opposition's accusation follows the prosecution's summons for Yi on Monday over his alleged role in the Daejeongdong land development scandal, having questioned him last week regarding third-party bribery allegations linked to a municipal football club. Well, we wait to see what will happen to Kim and how long he will be detained by the prosecution. Uh, moving on to other headlines now, a special parliamentary committee tasked with looking into the Itaewon crowd crush, has now adopted a report holding Interior Minister Yi Sang-min responsible for the fatal incident. Can you tell us more? Sure, Jango. This is coming from Tuesday's general meeting of the committee. The main opposition Democratic Party, as well as two left-leaning minor oppositions, Justice Party and Basic Income Party, approved the passage of the report. While the ruling People Party representatives walked out in protest, the move came after the PPP refused to agree on the contents of the report, which pointed out the safety minister's responsibility over the October 29 case. A total of 159 people, including 26 foreigners, were killed. The victims were mostly in their 20s and 30s. The DP and the two other parties also adopted a motion to file criminal accusations against Yi and National Police Agency Commissioner General Yunigun for alleged perjury. Let's continue on now to the latest from President Yun sang yeols trip to the UAE. He visited the Barak nuclear power plant in the Al-Dafra region of Abu Dhabi. He emphasized it is a symbol of cooperation between South Korea and the United Arab Emirates. And during Monday's visit with the UAE President Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed al-Nahyan, news said the Baraka plant carries important symbolic meaning as a representation of the special bilateral strategic partnership. He expressed hope this visit will provide a turning point to seek comprehensive and strategic cooperation in other energy areas beyond the nuclear sector, such as hydrogen and renewable energy, as well as carbon capture, utilization and storage. South Korea won the Baraka power plant project in 2009, the first export of a homegrown commercial atomic power plant and the first nuclear power plant in the Middle East. Unit 1 and 2 are in operation. Unit 3 is ready. Unit 4 is due for completion next year. The president reportedly said, based on the success of Baraka, South Korea and the UAE should join forces to produce more achievements, such as additional nuclear power plants in the UAE and joint expansion overseas. And the president will be heading for the Economic Forum in Davos next. Meanwhile, the Iranian foreign ministry said it is awaiting an explanation from the South Korean government regarding an incident where President Yoon sang yeol described Iran as the quote-unquote enemy of the United Arab Emirates. 
Well, Iran's state-run Islamic Republic news agency reported on Monday that Foreign Ministry spokesperson Nasser Kanani said the ministry is seriously following Yoon's remarks that he reportedly called undiplomatic. The spokesperson said the comment shows lack of awareness by the South Korean leader of Iran's historical ties with neighboring states, including the UAE, as well as positive developments in terms of those relationships. Kanani added Tehran is awaiting a response from Seoul regarding this matter. On Sunday, while visiting the AK unit of South Korean military contingent in the UAE, President Yoon drew a comparison between South Korea's situation with North Korea and the UAE's relationship with what he called the most threatening country of Iran. Yes, well, South Korea's foreign ministry has responded to reporters saying President Yoon's description of Iran as the enemy of the UAE is, quote-unquote, irrelevant to South Korea's relations with Iran. Can you tell us a bit more? On Tuesday, via text message sent to reporters, the ministry said the remark was made to encourage members of the AK unit, a South Korean military contingent in the UAE. The ministry also cited South Korea's friendly and cooperative relationship with Iran since establishing diplomatic ties back in 1962, adding that Seoul stands by its commitment to continuously pursue advancing bilateral ties, seeking to eliminate any misunderstanding over the role of the AK unit that could emerge from Yoon's remarks. The ministry explained the non-combatant unit's main mission is to train the UAE's military and protect South Korean nationals in the event of emergency. Yes, we'll get an expert's reaction to that comment as well as an overall assessment of President Yoon's trip to the UAE for our in-depth interview. That'll be right after this news briefing. In other news, the time to lift the indoor masking rules will be announced later this week. That's the latest just coming from the Career Disease Control and Prevention Agency. What more do we know? Well, on Tuesday, KDCA said that the Central Disaster and Safety Countermeasure Headquarters will announce the timetable on Friday. A final decision on adjusting the indoor mask mandate will be made based on the discussions held during a general meeting of the nation's Advisory Committee on Infectious Diseases early in the day and following reviews by quarantine authorities. Health authorities had said the indoor masking restrictions will be downgraded to non-legally binding advice through two stages, and the first stage transition will be entered depending on several major criteria, including daily and the number of serious cases. And during the latest meeting, committee head Chung Gisok said three of the four pre-designated criteria have been met, including a drop in weekly cases for the two consecutive weeks and an on-week decline in serious cases, with the weekly fatality rate remaining below 0.10%. Uh, the other criterion successfully met is the ICU occupancy rate for critical COVID-19 patients under 50% for the past four weeks. However, the goal for the rates of booster vaccination among the elderly and those at high-risk facilities in winter, this remains unfulfilled. Moving on, over 26 million people nationwide are expected to travel during the upcoming Lunar New Year holiday. What can you tell us about what we should brace for as the annual max exodus approaches? A lot of time behind the wheels, for sure, for those who are driving their family back home or back to their uh, bigger families Mm. away from Seoul or the capital. According to the Korea Transport Institute, 26.48 million people are forecast to travel between Friday and next Tuesday. That's equivalent to roughly the population of the entire Seoul metropolitan (laughs) area or over half of the country for an average of about 5.3 million per day. 
A substantial majority of 91.7% are expected to travel by car, 3.8% the intercity bus, 3% trains and 1.1% airplanes. Road congestion is expected to peak on Saturday morning as people head out of the capital region and on Monday afternoon when they return. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. President Yoon Suk-yeol wrapped up his four-day state visit to the United Arab Emirates on Tuesday. It marked the first ever state trip to the Middle Eastern country by a South Korean leader since the two countries forged diplomatic relations in 1980. During a summit with the UAE President Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan, President Yoon secured a multi-billion dollar investment pledge into Korean industries. A total of 48 MOUs were also signed during his visit, including a nuclear, including in nuclear power, energy and defence sectors. To review the outcomes of Yoon's trip, as well as the future of relations between South Korea and the UAE, we have joining us on the line now Professor Park Hyun-do from the Sogang Euro Mina Institute at Sogang University. Professor Park, hello. It's uh, good to have you back on the show today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Before we talk about Yun's trip, could you first give us some background on the relationship between South Korea and the UAE? Can you tell us about the history uh, of the diplomatic ties? Okay, I'd like to give more, a little bit more to the, the background, actually, the, in, in the formation of the Arab Emirates. Arab, United Arab Emirates was formed only in December 1971, and our relationship with the United Arab Emirates started about Nine years later, in 1980, and it was June of 1980, we first actually set up our relationship. So, uh, well, it was not very, it, it was not very immediate relationship, uh, and for the almost for 20 years, it remains actually just normal and not particularly important or not particularly outstanding. But it all started our good relationship. Uh, all started in with the former president Lee Myung Bak, who had uh, the wonderful experience living in the Middle East as a businessman. Mm. So he started actually the uh, new, entirely new relationship with the United Arab Emirates, and then um, the the UAE is the only and the first uh, country in the Middle East that South Korea. Has main has concluded uh, the special strategic partnership. That that says everything. United Arab Emirates is the most important the partner for our country mm. in the Middle East. Right. So uh, the diplomatic ties were forged in 1980, but uh, it was under President Im Young Bak where mm-hmm. things uh, really took off, you're saying. Uh, amid that backdrop then, President Yoon sang yeol arrived in the UAE on Saturday, uh, but it was the first state visit by a Korean president. He held a summit with the uh, Sheikh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan on Sunday that produced a $30 billion investment pledge uh, by the UAE in South Korean industries, including in nuclear power and the defence industry, as well as 
the hydrogen and solar power sectors. Uh, meanwhile, representatives from 100 South Korean conglomerates as well uh, joined a com- uh, company, the Yun, uh, and they helped secure a total of uh, 48 MOUs in line with the Sheikh's pledge. Mm-hmm. So, Professor, what is your overall assessment of President Yun's trip to the UAE and the deals that he reached? Actually, as a matter of fact, it is a big success, I would believe, because in the, 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 the volume of the agreements and also the, the atmosphere of a friendly atmosphere and welcoming spirit, everything is perfect and wonderful. And particularly, this is the, the first state visit by Korean president to the, to the Arab Emirates ever since the, both countries set up the diplomatic relations. There is no state visit to Korea by the the head of the UAE, uh, never ever. And this is the first time uh, the state visit in both countries. Mm. So that says that says how important this visit is and also the how the eager both countries are uh, try to or trying to uh, renew their relationship. I mean the upgrade the special strategic uh, partnership. And the particularly the, the when many people are wondering why then why then Korea is so important for the United Arab Emirates. Mm. Well, I, I personally would say and definitely the or from my own experience with the talking to a lot of the the Arab Emirates think tanks, the reason is simple. Korea is the only country who is that is willing to transfer knowledge and technology to UAE. No other right. country likes to do that. Right. And Korea, uh, actually, that's one of the main reasons why the, uh, the, His Royal Highness, uh, the President of the United Arab Emirates, says uh, the, the, the UAE has a firm mm. belief and confidence in Korea. Sure. So let's break that down a, a bit more then. In uh, more broader terms, first, how important is it for South Korea to build a relationship with the UAE? What is South Korea looking to gain out of this relationship? We need to think about the, the, the world after 50 years. I mean, the, the UAE, is the, the future goal is very simple and straightforward. They, the United Arab Emirates likes to survive without oil in 50 years. And in order to survive, in order, to, in order for the oil-producing country to survive without oil in 50 years, what should they do? They should invest in a lot of money in education, 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 and so-called education, a knowledge-based economy. Hmm. And Korea needs also needs to go forward with the UAE for that future. Uh, we... We have to also get rid of our in dependence on oil. And right now, the, the best partner for Korea is United Arab Emirates. And in a sense, these two countries are trying to break, make a breakthrough for the, the better future without any oil mm. and without any fossil fuels. And they try to build a new future together that is actually the important for us in in actually in 50 years 50 years later the korea and the united arab emirates and in the world too. that is the uh, solution for these two countries to survive right okay so uh 
Obviously, the oil crisis is looming large, uh, but uh, they are looking beyond that, you're saying, the relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, What about the UAE? What is the UAE looking to get out of the relationship with South Korea, perhaps uh, uh, more in the short term as well? What does uh, UAE benefit from South Korea, that relationship with South Korea? The... Not only United UAE, but also many oil producing countries in the Middle East, they have the one specific goal to change their country. Uh, the, um, they do not want to rely on oil. Mm. Diversification of their industry, mm. that is the most important goal shared by all those oil producing countries, including United Arab Emirates. And UAE needs uh, the high, highly educated manpower. They need to uh, train their own nationals right. uh, to achieve the better skills and better achievements. That is important. And Korea, in that sense, Korea is the best partner for the United Arab Emirates. That's what I heard from actually the uh, very responsible person in the, U- in the UAE government. I mean, the, when they try to uh, build. Uh, the nuclear power plant. Uh, mm. the, even Japan wants to uh, build it, but they did not. The UAE does not does not uh, take the the hands of the J- Japan. Why? Because Japan was not willing to uh, transfer any knowledge or science and technology to UAE, but right. Korea did. Right, so it's the education and knowledge that uh, South Korea offers uh, to the UAE uh, that uh, the UAE. Uh, values essentially mm-hmm. so you said this trip was uh was very positive you had a very positive assessment of yun's trip uh, the leaders uh they also said that they will further develop their special strategic partnership to the highest level how do, could the two countries go about this goal what are perhaps some of the challenges that lie ahead for the future of this relationship well always the challenge is the international relations is particularly the 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 fast changing uh, international order and the United Arab Emirates and Korea, uh, nevertheless, they achieved the the miracle of the desert and the miracle of the Han River. They have a lot common with uh, common with each other. Particularly, they uh, they are very small country, but the middle powers and they their relationship should be developed uh, not only in trade, uh, not only in energy and trade, but also the space exploration in various fields of the the industries. There are a lot of things. So there are a lot of things for these two countries to get together and work together. Uh, the big problem, actually, the, we can um, uh, possibly think of between these two countries. Uh, so far, I mean, the none. But only always the, the problem is uh, the how to deal with the international order, mm. and particularly the how to deal with China and how to how to make friends. Uh, when the when uh, almost all countries are cornered, either take the side like either uh, the liberal democratic world or authoritarian world. I mean, if I if I borrow the, mm. the expression from the mm. President Biden of the United States, that that is actually the the concern. But uh, between these two countries, I I don't think there is any problem. Mm.
Right. So it is the geopolitics that uh, the two countries will perhaps need to be sensitive about. But between the two countries uh, at the moment, uh, there don't seem to be any concerns that you have then, Professor. Uh, meanwhile, this visit comes on the back of a very high profile visit by the Saudi crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, to mm-hmm. South Korea in November last year. Again, mm-hmm. there, there was a promise of agreements worth an estimated $30 billion between the two countries in defence, energy and infrastructure sectors. So it's been a busy period for the UN administration in building cooperation with the uh, Middle East region. What do you make of how the UN government has been dealing with this region? Uh, I think they're probably the, I'm not the only one, but I could I could feel the sense of the like a competition between United Arab Emirates and the Saudi Arabia. Uh, UAE actually pledged uh, to invest a huge amount of money in, in, in Korea and in Korea and in Korean business. And and in last actually the in November, uh, everybody knows that actually the many Korean companies wants to uh, wants want to do business in Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia try to allure many Korean businessmen to work in Saudi Arabia. But there is a big difference between these countries. I mean, the in order to work, in order to make a business in Saudi Arabia, uh, the our com- our Korean companies actually need to invest money. That is that is a big problem. Mm. But uh, right now, the, with the UAE, UAE wants to invest in Korean in Korean the business and in the, in the field. Uh, they like to work together with the Korean Korean businessmen. So there is a there is a big difference between these two. I think probably the UAE is much more profitable for Korea, and but but it does not mean that we have to actually the the. Well, pay less attention to Saudi Arabia. Uh, the I must tell you, very frankly speaking, the three countries are very outstanding in 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 the Middle East for Korea. Uh, definitely, United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia and the uh, Qatar, because these three countries, mm. three countries, we have a lot of trade volumes and business with these three countries. I I do not mean that other countries are less sure. important, but they are really, I mean, the economy economic giants. So. So the currently the this government and probably the next government needs to spend more time and energy in the making our market wider and broader in the Middle East with the three countries always uh, as a top priority. Yes, well, the UN administration seems to be working to develop uh, opportunities uh, in this region. Uh, finally, while. Uh, most of the outcomes from Yun's trip to the UAE seems to be positive. There was one unfortunate incident while meeting with a South Korean military contingent in the UAE. He described Iran as the enemy of the UAE as he compared how North Korea is the enemy of South Korea. The Iranian foreign ministry took opposition to these comments and said that they were undiplomatic. Uh, South Korea's foreign ministry has tried to defuse the situation, saying that the comment was uh, not relevant to the Seoul-Tehran relationship and that he simply made the remark in an effort to try and encourage these soldiers. Uh, Professor, what have you made of this controversy and do you think it could be uh, potentially damaging for the relationship with Tehran? Uh, I must tell you, when I, as soon as I heard about the, the remarks, devastating, surprising and absolutely disastrous. I mean, there is wow. no need to no need to say those words uh, the, in public. Mm. But the more than anything else, actually, I don't know why 
the why the Korean government could not actually keep it uh, keep it uh, low profile or not revealing the I mean the, the his words. Mm. Unfortunately, the situation was not controlled at all, and it, it, his remarks were lively broadcast. Mm. There was no way to uh, stop it. Mm. That is the big problem. You know, and well, actually, the uh, according to the, the explanation by the presidential office, it was simply it was said simply in the context of the encouraging the our troops stationed in the Arab United Arab Emirates. But unfortunately, uh, it was made in public. Mm. It was made in public, and it makes a lot of repercussions, particularly the in Iran. Uh, let me tell you, uh, uh, let me tell you very straightforward. The, our relationship with Iran should go smoothly and the uh, smoothly because Iran is a very important, not only not only in the foreign relations but also in business and the business and also the human uh, the exchanges. Mm. Uh, Iran is a big market. Right. And we had we actually used to rely on almost seventy percent of the, the important uh, the uh, the energies from the, the Iran. I mean the, the gasoline right. and light uh, oil. So Iran, uh, once the, the sanctions are lifted, there is a totally different story will uh, will unveil. I mean Iran would be very different from now on. Then we need to make a risk management, but right. unfortunately, this time it was horribly uh, mismanaged, and it will. We need to wait for, uh, and also we have to uh, swallow a lot of, lot of a difficult situations right. from now on. I think. Right, so it seems the UN administration will have to uh, make a lot of efforts to try and mend defences uh, with Tehran. Then. Okay, we'll leave it there. We've been speaking to Professor Park Hyun-do from the Sogang Euro Mina Institute in Sogang University. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 20.47 points, or 0.85% on Tuesday, to close the day at 2,379.39. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, shedding 7.18 points, or 1%, to end the day at 709.71. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 3.41 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,238.71. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment where we round up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have Diane Yu joining us in the studio once again. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jango. It's good to see you. Okay, so what stories do you have for us today? First, I'll go over the latest update on South Korean banks' plan to extend operation hours. Next, we'll take a look at how to properly bow to elders during the Lunar New Year. And we'll finish off the segment by checking out which South Korean footballers have made the 2022 AFC's Team of the Year list. Okay, so let's get into those stories. Tell us more about that first one. 
If you're an employee working from nine to six on weekdays, you would know how hard it is to go to the bank.、Mm. And in order to address the difficulties people face due to banks shortening the time they open their doors to customers, South Korean financial institutions have started to hold talks on adding one hour back to their operating times. Yesterday, management representatives from several financial institutions held a meeting on the normalization of business hours at the Korea Federation of Banks in Myeongdong, Seoul. And during the talk, the representatives agreed with the public's great inconvenience and discussed plans to return to their regular operating hours. Okay, so you said that they're adding one hour back to their operating times.、Mm-hmm. Exactly when did they start to close earlier? It was from July twelfth, two thousand twenty-one, that banks' business hours, which were originally nine a.m. to four p.m., were reduced to nine thirty a.m. to three thirty p.m. As the government strengthened social distancing rules in the metropolitan area on the ninth of the same month to prevent the further spread of COVID nineteen. Financial institutions temporarily agreed to reduce the business hours of branches in areas such as Seoul, Gyeonggi Province, and Incheon.、Mm. Then, in October of the same year, the Central Labor Management Committee decided to maintain the reduction until the government's COVID-19 related guidelines are lifted.、Uh, here, guidelines included restrictions on private gatherings, multi-use facilities, and the obligation to wear masks indoors. Right. So it was a、uh, COVID-related then. So has there been an agreement on? When exactly they will go back to normal hours? No, it seems like they're moving at a snail's pace. A, a task force that was created to discuss practical measures regarding business hours held a meeting on the twelfth of this month, but it ended without making any concrete results. Even the next meeting has not been scheduled. But pressure from the government and the public is growing, and the banks would have to make their decision fast. On the tenth, Ibokyun, head of the Financial Supervisory Service, urged the banks to return to their normal business hours as social distancing rules have been lifted. And the Korea Consumer Organization's Council also issued a statement last week, saying that the shortening business hours is a violation of consumer rights, as they have the right to choose between on-site and online services, and the banks must give consumers. A choice, right? So it looks like it will return to that original nine to four hours at some point. It looks、mm-hmm. like they will have to because of the growing pressure. Right, but they aren't in a rush. It seems、uh, no. we'll see when we do finally see a shift in their stance. Yes,、uh, let's move on to the next story. What do you have for us? So every year, when the lunar calendar marks the first day of the new year, South Koreans gather with their family to celebrate the day called Seolnal, and it's customary for them to bow to the elders in the family and wish each other a good luck. However, how we bow and what we say can sometimes be confusing, and that's why the Songgyunggwan Ceremony Establishment Committee, together with the Songgyunggwan Confucianism and Taoism Association headquarters and the Institute of Korean Confucian Culture, held a press conference on. Monday to introduce proper etiquette ahead of the Lunar New Year. Right, interesting. So a primer before the holiday, essentially, it can be confusing even for Koreans. Right. And when we say bow, we mean the full formal bow,、mm-hmm. of course, as in crouching down onto your knees and head towards the、right. floor as well. Okay. So how should we bow to our elders then? According to Songgyunggwan, the New Year's bow is called Chonbe, which is done by bending down and bowing after taking a Kongsu posture. And Kongsu refers to holding both hands neatly together around your belly button at a distance of about a fist from the abdomen. Men put their left hand over the right hand, and women put their right hand over the left. 
Then bend your body and put your hands on the floor with your palms down. Put down the left knee and then the right knee and then lower your head so that it almost touches the back of your hand. When standing up, lift your right knee off the floor first. Place both hands on your right knee and then stand up while extending your left leg. And after standing up, bow your head with your hands in the Kung Su posture again. Okay, so hands in front of your belly button, then hands on the floor first. Mm-hmm. Left knee, right knee, and then head almost to the back of your hands, and then go back up in reverse yes. order. Uh, so <laughs> that's that. Then that's the formal uh, full bow. Mm-hmm. What are some other things to consider when it comes to the etiquette during the holiday as well? Surprisingly, wishing good luck or saying stay healthy and live long to elders is considered disrespectful. Hmm. Park Kwang-young, one of the members of the committee, said you have to wait for the elders to wish you good luck first. Park added that because manners mean that actions speak louder than words, you should bow first, sit down, and respond with gratitude when an adult gives you a good message. Song Kim-kwan also mentioned the importance of the order of the New Year's bow. If there are grandparents, their children should bow first, followed by their grandchildren. So it's not right to make the youngest bow first. So keep those guidelines in mind and you won't be making any mistakes during (laughs) one of the most important traditional Korean holidays. Indeed, I think it's uh, been a good refresher for everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's finish the segment with our last story then. What do you have for us? Three South Korean footballers, Son Heung-min, Hwang Hee-chan, and Kim Min-jae, have been named in the 2022 Asian Football Confederation's Team of the Year, selected by the International Federation of Football History and Statistics, or IFFHS in short. The IFFHS selected players who performed the best last year by continent, and on January 15th, the list of 11 players who made it to the 2022 AFC Team of the Year was released. Team Korea's captain Son Heung-min was selected as a left-sided striker in a 3-4-3 formation. Hwang Hee-chan was placed in the left midfielder position, while Kim Min-jae was placed on the right side of the defence. Right, I don't think any Korean football fans will argue with those picks, uh, but did the Federation explain the reason why those three were chosen? Well, we all know they're great performances on the field, but mm. let's go over some of their major achievements. Swan scored 23 goals in the English Premier League in the 2021-2022 to season and won the Golden Boot Award along with Mohamed Salah. He was the first Asian player to become the EPL's top scorer and led South Korea to the round of 16 at the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, despite suffering an orbital fracture. Huang, who joined the EPL team Wolverhampton Wanderers in August 2021, only scored one goal and got two assists in the league last year, but scored the winner in Korea's uh, 2-1 victory against Portugal in the final Group H match at the Qatar World Cup. And Kim Min-jae joined Italy's Serie A club, Napoli, last year and was recognized as one of the best defenders in the league, including being selected as the Player of the Month. And thanks to his performances, his team is leading the way and is aiming for its first title in 28 years. Yes, I think for Korean fans, the only other name really worth including might be Lee Gang-in, but uh, I think his time will come in the future. Right. Who else is on the team? Well, Japanese players took the most spots, with four of them making the list. Uh, Kamada Taichi, an attacking midfielder for Bundesliga club Eintracht Frankfurt, and League On club Monaco's forward Minami no Takumi were two of the chosen players, and they lined up in midfield. In addition, Iran striker Mehdi Taremi and Saudi Arabia striker Salim Dausari and Australian defender Aziz Basi were also selected. OK, that's all we have time for on today's Career Trending. Diane, thank you for those stories, and we'll see you again later this week. Thank you. See you then.
Abhishek Gupta from India, better known by his nickname Lucky in Korea, is a well-known television personality and business owner. Recently, along with fellow expats Alberto Mondi from Italy and Daniel Lindemann from Germany, Lucky was appointed as the honorary ambassador for the King's Hejong Institute, the Korean language institute that operates across the globe. To tell us more about this honour and his story in general, Lucky joins us in the studio for this week's Touch Basins Hall. Lucky, hello, and thanks for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. Hello, everyone. Thanks for calling me on this show, and uh, wish you a very happy new year. Yes, happy new year to you too. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for so, inviting. Uh, in Korea, you are a very well-known celebrity, so an introduction uh, might not even be necessary. But for our listeners around the world, can you uh, briefly introduce yourself? Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, like he said, my nickname is Lucky. Uh, well, as m- many Indians, uh, you know, all of us have a nickname, and my nickname was Lucky, and it became my uh, name in the in the media community because Abhishek was a very difficult name to pronounce. Mm. And uh, this is my twenty eighth year in Korea. I came as a student to learn Korean. I did various business, few television shows. At the moment, I'm running a business uh, importing uh, sesame seeds for Korean government. I also run a restaurant, and I'm also be on television. So yeah, I'm. Uh, you can say I'm the millennial. I'm the MZ uh, generation doing multiple things. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Uh, actually, just a quick question on your name, Lucky. Uh, was that a name given by your family? Yes. Was there a reason for that name? So, like most Indians, we have like a passport name, which is like a very long and very sounds mm. like very authentic. Uh, but your friends and your family members give you a nickname for closeness. Like, mm. I, I think not every country, but few countries have that culture. Sure. So Lucky was the name pronounced by my family members or my close friends. And usually you don't give this uh, close name to everyone. Mm. But when I came to Korea, uh, Lucky was easy to pronounce. And I, I used this name. And now I kind of feel like everyone is close to me because this was uh, called by my <laughs> friends and family. So uh, in a way, I feel uh, when people call me Lucky, I feel kind of that bondage. So it's, it's good. Sure, it's a way to get closer, uh, I feel, for you. Uh, as you said, you came to Korea in 96, 28 years ago 28 now. Years, yes. So more than a quarter of a century. Yes, I'm still living. <laughs> yes. Uh, what first brought you to Korea? Uh, my father, uh, he, he was in coal mines. He was uh, in business of coal. And uh, he, he came to know about the uh, the Korean uh, Hyundai company. And uh, in 96, he sent me and my elder brother to study Korean. Mm. Uh, what do you think about that decision now? Your your father seeing oh, what uh, career could absolutely take thankful. Uh, unfortunately, my father passed thirty years back, uh, but uh, I've been a very very fortunate uh, for his decision making. I think he saw the blue ocean in mm. Korea because uh, Korea was a growing economy back then. It's still one of the strongest economy in the world. But uh, in '96, we didn't had much uh, smartphones or internet access, so. To know about Korea and the culture back then was a very unique thing. Nonetheless, he realized that potential and sent his two lazy kids to Korea. Uh, we would be struggling any part in the world. But uh, I think uh, the major reason what I thank to him, uh, by sending us to Korea, uh, me and my brother were the first two Indians among the 10 Indians in the data released by embassy in 2000 wow. there were only 10 indians who could speak korean back then wow. now there are a lot of like anywhere in the world you know people are learning korean and they're communicating but uh, sure. so yeah it, it gives a lot of uh, excitement and uh, it feels amazingly good 
So it's quite some foresight by your father, but still, uh, it was his decision, so it must have been quite Absolutely. difficult for you to kind of adjust to life in Korea when you first arrived. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, like I was mentioning to you before the show started, uh, now we have access to so much of uh, stuff, and even before you go somewhere, you can browse through it. For me to know about Korea before I came, I was barely 19 years old. I knew about the 1988 Olympic Games, and... Maybe I have read a few stories about Korea where you talk about the tiger and the Thangan grandfather. So, you know, sure. my image was like there are a lot of tigers in this country. It's a big <laughs> jungle. So, you know, vague images because you don't have an exact browsing or like a community where you can search about mm. Korea back then. So, yeah, it was it was a very, uh, very, I would say my slate was completely empty. Mm. And when I came to Korea, everything was uh, the food, the culture, the way people talk, their lifestyle, the pace of life. Everything was, uh, I wouldn't say shocking. It was interesting. Mm. And uh, after 20 years, 28 years, I think I'm part of it now. When I go back to India, I find it difficult to adjust to the pace of life in India, actually. <laughs> it's a little slower than Korea. Sure. You've spent... Uh more of your life in Korea now than you have. Most of my grown-up life, my sure. adulthood in Korea. So having lived through all that, how have things changed for you over the years, particularly since uh, you have become a successful business owner and a television personality uh, while you've been on uh, several TV shows over the years, the show that really blew up for your course, uh, Non-Summit, on uh, JTBC, the cable channel. But uh, what has this experience been like over the last uh, few years, especially as all these things have blown up? Uh in, in Korean, there is a very famous saying, like, every 10 years, a river, a mountain changes. Which says, uh, like, things change by the time. For me, exactly, Korea before 2002 World Cup and Korea after 2002 World Cup. Mm. The FIFA World Cup in 2002 was a big catalyst for changing the economy and the culture of Korea. I would say Korea was more in the analog phase before and became more digitalized after 2002. So uh, for me, I think it was a combination of both. Uh, whenever I talk with my uh, younger expat friends, we always have the discussion like what were things back then and now. Mm. I think uh, there is no comparison. We can't say like we had a better time and they have a worse or they have a better and we had a bad phase. I think every experience is genuine and unique. And I think we should appreciate the process. For me, uh, it is more uh, memorable. Even the process was a little longer. And if somebody has access to all of this in a very short time, doesn't mean it does not have a big value. So I, I think you should appreciate what you get. And I think every generation, every time has their own form. Sure. The reason we particularly wanted to invite you to the show now is because last year you appointed the honorary ambassador for the King Sejong Institute, the uh, Korean Language Institute established by the Amazing. Korean Overwhelming. Government. It's just like, you know, it's uh, like I thought it's a dream, you know, because um, first about the King Sejong Institute, they are uh, present in over 80 countries. They have 250 language institutes all over the world, over 80,000 students learning Korean. And for me, uh, Korean is a big thing for my career. Like you mentioned, uh, my business, my television or anything else. It's all because I have learned Korean. I can communicate in Korean. So for me to become an ambassador, a global ambassador with my colleagues, uh, it's a huge, huge uh, uh, a moment of happiness. Mm. And I really want to... Uh, uh, do something good for all the uh, expats, especially Indians who are want to learn Korean. It's an amazing feeling. Sure. I'm sure many of our listeners who have already been learning Korean will uh, know of the Institute already. Uh, do you have 
activities or any plans yet uh, for your role at the moment, or is it still in the air? So we got appointed recently. It was, Mm. I think, uh, last uh, two weeks ago. So we are the global ambassador. The first foreigners to be appointed is the global ambassador. Mm. Uh, Very famous actor, Lee Min Ho, was the previous ambassador. So we were kind of uh, pinching us like, have we become that popular or they don't have (laughs) enough budget to appoint us? But uh, jokes apart. Uh, I think uh, for next two years, we'll be doing uh, a lot of uh, 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 work regarding uh, how we can uh, make Korean language access to expats all over the world. And also, uh, we would like to create content on our own YouTube channel regarding Mm. uh, how to learn language or or how to have access to learn language. Sure. On that front... Obviously, you will have picked up Korean by living here for so long. But uh, you, uh, from what I know, picked it up quite fast. You studied quite hard. Uh, How did you learn Korean? What kind of methods did you use when you first started? Uh, Well, the methods we used uh, might be still being used now. Things have changed a lot, you know, because the world has so much of digital platform. But I think the basics are the same. You have to invest a lot of time and stuff. So I would just not take a lot of your time. Um, I always try to explain this way. Learning language is like going to gym. If you ask someone, like, are you, do you work out? And I say, like, yes, I do work out. But if you go to gym once in 10 days or once in a month, you won't show big physical changes. But if you go to gym, like, at least three to four times a week, you will see a physical transformation. I think language is the same thing. A lot of people say or believe I'm learning a language, but they don't think how much effort they're putting. They think like if I learn something, a word or a sentence, or I communicate with a foreigner in a day or a week, it's enough. I think when we went to the Language Institute, we were learning Korean for four hours, five days a week. And this went for the first six months. Mm. So if you make a strong structure, then you can make a building as tall as you want. So I think... Like you say, like you can you can watch the dramas or you can set up all your settings on your digital world into English. There are various things. But I think how often do you approach is very important. So first, in the beginning, you should invest a good enough time and then you can do things as you want to do. Also, one more thing, don't try to do too many things at a time. <laughs> don't try to do too many things. At a time. Okay, I think what do you mean by that? Uh, I see a lot of friends who will watch a drama, they will also do a convo, they will also do books, they will go to an institute. When you have too much of random things, mm. I think uh, you're distracted in that process. It might work for someone because everybody has a different way of uh, learning. But I think in, in, in genuine, because I'm not a great student, I was very happy when you said, like, you learn very hard. I was an average student. But what I did, I did the process. Like, when mm. we went to the institute, they were just doing a slow process and just follow it. Don't do too many things. Okay, so consistency, but also don't perhaps take on too much. Don't stress too much. Don't Don't stress stress too much. much. And don't try to be perfect in a language. You know why people are uh, scared of a foreign language, especially in Korea, is they think like, if I do mistake, if I don't do my pronunciation right, people will judge me for that. I speak Korean after 28 years. I do so many, I make so many mistakes by (laughs) typing. And and I say like, uh, I'm not here to learn language to impress someone. Language for is for communication purpose. Even English is not my my mother tongue, you know, so I, I do a lot of flaws. The grammar might be wrong, but as long as I can talk with Chano, I'm, I'm very happy with it. So, yeah. This is all advice also for, I'm guessing, people who are uh, intermediate level as well. Yes. Then, right? Because obviously there's a lot of people who are learning Korean now and uh, they might have picked it up quite fast initially. But Korean is language that does seem to get harder the more you study it. Uh, 
I think not in language, anything you do in life, confidence plays a major role. Mm. When you speak to someone, be confident, like you're going to say what you want to say to the other person. You might make mistake in the process, but you're not here for an Olympic championship or a medal. So as long as you're confident, I think a lot of people joke around, like when you drink something, you, you speak fluent foreign language. Just maybe the reason might be because you feel less pressure about speaking a language. So I think if you're confident, uh, not in language, you can do everything in life. Well, thank you for your tips today. I think our listeners will really appreciate it. Thanks. And clearly you are going to be a very good uh, honorary ambassador for the Institute with all your uh, helpful guidance. Uh, personally, what's next for you? I understand that you're also given an honorary citizenship by the Seoul City Government. Yes. But uh, at a KBS radio interview last year, you shared plans uh, that you could be taking the test for the naturalisation process yes. as well to become an actual Korean citizen. So, so I, I would just try to correct you here. I was given the honorary citizenship of Seoul, not Republic sure. of Korea. So I'm an honorary citizen of Seoul. Mm. So I'm a Seoul citizen, and that's a big honor. Uh, I feel immensely proud to be given that. Uh, so this is this is a token of appreciation for all the things I have done, which might be uh, valued by the Seoul Metropolitan. Uh, whenever I do my show, I'm very much vocal about uh, my life in Mapo. I live in Mapo for last. 15 years now and uh, the appreciation about the traffic or the culture or the people of Seoul uh, might have impressed them and they thought I might be a right candidate to build uh, or bring India and Korea a little more closer. Mm. So I think uh, that's a token for that and I'm really thankful for it. But uh, coming back to the naturalization, I think it's still a process. I have given two exams for it. Uh, it's not easy as you think. Mm. Uh, I joke around with my Korean friends. I tell them like, if you guys take the test, I think you might lose up your passport. <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's still going on. Uh, I have to uh, get one more uh, exam pass and we'll see how it goes from there. Sure. Well, we wish you luck on that front. Lucky and needs a lot of luck. Thank you. Yes. And perhaps we'll speak to you again next time as a Korean citizen. That would be quite something. Well, I'll, I'll be very happy. I'll let you know. Yeah, so we're going to leave it there, but it was a real pleasure to have you on the show today. We've been speaking to the Honorary Ambassador for the King's Hejong Institute, uh, Abhishek Gupta, a.k.a. Lucky. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you very much, Hano. Bye, everyone. Did you enjoy this segment? You can discover more segments like this throughout the week on Korea 24. On Monday, we bring you news from the world of sports around the peninsula. Then on Tuesday, notable guests from various fields join us and give us insight into their lives and work. Are you a fan of books? Then tune in on Wednesday for Korea Book Club, where our book critic helps us unpack works by Korean authors or written on Korea. Go on an adventure with us every Thursday as we take a look at Korea's hidden gems with Explore Korea. And on Friday, listen to what our film critics have to say about the latest movie releases from both home and abroad. We have all that you need, all in one place, on Korea 24. We've come to the final segment of the show now, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And for that, our staff editor, Richard Larkin, has joined us now in the studio. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you, too. OK, so what do you have for us first today? Kim Dossel's article in the Life and Style section of the Korea Herald gives us information about two exhibitions in Seoul that focus on the Korean traditional outfit, Hanbok. 
Both traditional hanbok and everyday hanbok that can be worn at work are on display at Ara Art Centre in Insadong until January 29th. Okay, so it's two exhibitions on hanbok, one yes. about traditional hanbok and one about everyday hanbok, mm-hmm. and that's both being held simultaneously at the Ara Art Centre, you're yes. saying, right? Okay, so interesting. Uh, let's start with the exhibition about traditional hanbok then. What can you tell us? The exhibition is called New Year Hanbok, and according to the article, it covers multiple aspects such as the beauty of the clothes. It aims to help visitors see how old Korean customs and value of hanbok are diminishing today as well. Mm. Five designers participated in the exhibition and presented a total of 10 hanbok pieces. There are also some unique sections for viewers, including the display of 10 different fabrics that are used to make traditional clothes. These include sheer silk or hangla in Korean. Apparently, the fabrics are on display for the first time in collaboration with the Korea Silk Research Institute. Okay, so looking back at the history of a Korean hanbok then, uh, what about the second exhibition? Hanbok that can be worn at work. 25 types of hanbok-based workwear are on display. You can see different variations, for example, for employees in the aviation, logistics and service industries. They were all created through a project last year. It is interesting to see fashion brands and companies making modern-day versions of hanbok, and from the looks of things, this exhibition is being used as a way to try and get businesses to work to use work attire inspired by the traditional clothing. There are free counselling sessions every Friday for companies that wish to adopt handbook uniforms, and reservation in advance is required for these sessions. Yeah, I think it's interesting to having this twin set of exhibitions side by side like this. It's an opportunity to both see the past and the present, possibly even the future of Hamburg right. uh, through these two exhibitions. It sounds like it could be a fitting one to see over the Lunar New Year break as well. OK, let's move on. What's the next story that you have for us? Next, there is good news for people who don't have any plans for the Lunar New Year. According to Kim Ran's article in the Korea Times, palaces and royal tombs will be free from Saturday to Tuesday. OK, so does the article tell us uh, which palaces will be uh, free for admission? It does. They are Gyeongbuk, Changdeok, Changgyeong and Doksu palaces. Jongmyo Shrine and royal to- chosen tombs in Seoul and Gyeonggi province will also have free admission. It's also worth noting that visitors don't need to make a reservation to go to Jongmyo Shrine during this period. Usually they would need to. For Gyeongbok Palace, 1,000 traditional style pictures will be offered to visitors on a first-come, first-serve basis. They will be given out after the changing of the guard ceremony. Yes, uh, free admission is always uh, welcome and nice. (laughs) Uh, Are there any other events happening during the Lunar New Year? There are. At the former presidential office, Cheongwade, there will be lectures on the history and various features of the residence from Saturday to Monday. There will also be performances by an art troupe from the Korea Cultural Heritage Foundation. Visitors will be able to see the traditional Korean music gugak, lion dances and samul nori, which is a type of percussion music. The performances will take place at 3pm every day during the holiday and will last 40 minutes. They're also free. OK, so it sounds like there's lots going on for those staying in Seoul this halal break. OK, that's all for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap it up today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang And thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio offers all you need to know on Korea through its various programs. Tune in to One Fine Day with Lena Park and join the K-pop diva for two fine hours every weekday. 
Are you into the latest K-pop tracks? Then K-pop Connection is your fix. Brian Ju brings you the best of K-pop and K-culture. On Korea24, host Kwon Jang-woo helps listeners digest all the biggest stories coming out of South Korea. Keep up with what's happening on the peninsula by listening to Korea24. Learn about Korean folktales on Mondays with global audiobook Once Upon a Time in Korea. If you're a bookworm, don't miss Books on Demand, a program that introduces Korean literature to the global audience every Tuesday. Our Wednesday program, Korea Today and Tomorrow, provides news on the latest diplomatic developments in and around the Korean Peninsula. Want to go deeper than K-pop? Sounds of Korea takes a closer look at various traditional music every Thursday. KBS World Radio is your go-to channel for all things Korea. Tune in!